Uh, that was great, and that's what we hope happens, right? That God speaks and that we hear. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jonathan Garrett. I'm the pastor of young adults at uh, this church, and just uh, so glad that you're here with us, or if you're tuning in online, we're glad you're here. We're continuing in 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to go into chapter 6. And so before we read uh, the scriptures, just a reminder, um, if you're familiar with the book or if you were here last week, you know that Paul, in his letter to that church in Corinth, that church that he struggles with sometimes, but he loves dearly, he has just dropped some serious truths about the gospel on them. I mean, he said things like that if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, the old is gone, behold, all things are now new. He said that one of these fundamental truths that help us understand how we're made righteous in Christ, he said, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that if we're in him, we have his righteousness. We have the righteousness of God. It's a beautiful thing that he said, but he's going to kind of switch gears here because he knows that in this church, there are still people who are questioning whether or not his gospel is legitimate because they wonder whether or not he's a legitimate apostle. And we've mentioned it before, but the problem is, is that these other teachers have shown up in town, they're good looking, they're, they're affluent, they're eloquent speakers, and they're saying things like, you know, Paul suffers so much. He's so broken. He's always imprisoned. Who even knows who Paul is? He rambles. He stutters. Whatever it is they're saying about him. And, and they're, they're saying, do you really want to follow Paul? And if you're a Corinthian, you're thinking, it's true. Paul does have a hard life. To follow him might mean my life looks a little bit like that. Whereas if I follow these guys, maybe my life will look like that. You know, sun shining down, blessings all the time. That looks pretty good. But Paul doesn't want them to reject this gospel, so he gets over the fact that they're rejecting him personally, and he urges them once again to receive the salvation that is theirs and to not reject his ministry. And he even says the very things that they're pointing to that they think disqualifies me actually qualify me to speak to you about the gospel. So let's read 2 Corinthians 6, 1 to 13 together. So talking about Christ, he says, working together with him, he means Christ. He says, working together with, with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I've listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Right there, what, what Paul's doing is he's saying Isaiah, he's quoting Isaiah, and he's saying, God saw a time coming in the future, where there was going to be a favorable time where the outpouring of salvation was going to come on his people, and Paul is saying, this is that. This is that time. So don't reject the salvation that I'm, that I'm urging you to receive. And then this is what he says. He says, behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, 
and yet we are true. As unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold, we live. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Let's pray. Oh, Father, these words bear so much weight upon us, Lord, and they're challenging. But Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear your word and that you would change us more into the image of your son who exhibited so many of the things that Paul exhibits in his ministry. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so what we know about these teachers, um, these, these other teachers that claim to be apostles, is that based on the accusations they're making about Paul, is we could liken them a little bit or maybe a lot to what we refer to as uh, the prosperity gospel. Or maybe something a little health and wealth. You may have heard of that. Um, we know it in its rawest forms or, or, you know, its maybe thinnest veneer forms as things like name it and claim it. You know, God wants to bless your soul and your bank account. And so, you know, you should just receive the blessings of the Lord. And if something goes wrong in your life, it probably has everything to do with your faith. It probably has some breakdown on your side of things because if you have real genuine faith, your life will flourish according to the American dream. Um, that's kind of the basic truth of it, right? And, and if you've read the Bible and spent any time in it, you probably think that smells a little funny. You should. You should say, that doesn't seem to be what the Bible says. Um, and that's right. But here's what I've come to realize, is maybe we don't embrace fully the prosperity gospel in that, in that very um, thin form. But if we look at our thoughts and our words... And we look at the way we react to hardships when they come our way sometime. Uh, could it be that while we don't embrace it, maybe we're giving it a side hug? Maybe, maybe we like it a little bit. Maybe we've embraced some parts of it. For instance, uh, are you shocked or scandalized when you go through hard things or when someone really good that you know goes through hard things? Do you ask the question, why would God allow something like this to happen? Um, I do. I do. I'll be the first to admit it. Um, do, you, do you struggle and doubt God's love and favor for you when life gets hard? Um, maybe you've, you've made sacrifices for, for ministry's sake and it backfired and you ended up getting hurt. Um, if, if that's you, perhaps we've, and, and I can be that way too sometimes, perhaps we've allowed to believe that suffering and trials and hardships should be rare and we should avoid them at all costs. And that would be a little taste of that health and wealth I was talking about. Um, For Paul, who was following Jesus, our suffering servant, suffering wasn't something that would maybe happen, but it was a given. It never occurred to Paul that it might be easy. But sometimes I wonder if it occurs to us that it might be hard. Um, Like the Corinthians, we may be tempted to follow a better-looking, easier, more conventional wisdom of the day. We may look for affluence, wealth, uh, power. Um, We may want money to cushion our lives and whatever else that we can do to bring comfort instead of trials and hardships and suffering. 
And, and Paul knows that's not what following Jesus looks like. As a matter of fact, the mark of a true Jesus follower isn't how little you suffer, but it's having great endurance in the midst of great suffering. That's what marks a real Jesus follower. And so Paul looks at his own ministry, and he commends himself to the Corinthians and says, look at my ministry. And, and, and he points out to us two things that we can learn. And if we follow Paul, we'll be following Jesus in the same manner. And that's this, what we must endure and how we must endure it. What we must endure and how we must endure it. And so we see this all throughout this passage. Let's dive in. Uh, first, what we must endure. Um, endurance is the operative kind of headline for all the things that Paul is going to list at the beginning of his commendation for himself. So he says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. And then what follows is three sets of three things, so nine things total, that he endures in. And so we'll group them up and explain them and hopefully apply them. First, he says, we endure in afflictions, hardships, and calamities. What I call that is general suffering. Just good old broken world stuff. Genesis 3, man. The fall happened. It's real. And brokenness is all around us. And Paul goes through things like that. For him, it's disease. It's uh, natural disasters, shipwrecks, things like that. Um, and, and Paul faithfully holds on to Jesus and proclaims the gospel throughout all of these things coming his way, right? It reminds me... Um, in thinking about this, put on exhibit for me. It reminds me of earlier this summer, uh, a girl named Taylor Roberts, if you don't know her, you should, she's awesome. Uh, Taylor works for the youth group, and her car was broken down. She needed a new transmission. And so Melissa Reno and Jim Reno, actually, uh, she's the admin for the youth group, you may know them. Uh, Melissa, they agreed that Taylor could have Jim's car for three days. They would just go with one car, and she could drive and continue doing ministry with their other car. Now, in that three-day window, one of these uh, microburst storms kind of blows up, and Taylor lives across the street from me. And so at the end of this violent but only 10-minute long storm, I get a call from Taylor, and, and there's tears on the other side. And she says, look out your window. I look out, and there is a limb the size of a tree across Melissa Reno's car, has crushed it, impaled it. And she said, it was a... It was a Hundred-year-old oak tree. That limb's been around forever. And it, the three days that she was holding on to Melissa's car, it crushed it. Knowing that Taylor was torn up about it, I volunteered to call Melissa and let her know. I called Melissa. And I said, Melissa, sit down. Got bad news. She said, what? I said, you know your car that Taylor has? Yes. I'm like, you know that storm that just blew through? She went, oh, no. I said, it's crushed. It's, it's really crushed. Now, if I'm Melissa in that moment, I think it, it might even feel understandable or you know, normal for her to say, that's just about what I get for being nice. I'd be gracious and I get a mouthful of hardship. And she could be bitter and angry and frustrated, but that's not what she did. You know what she said? I remember the first thing she said. Oh no, is everybody okay? And then she stopped and said, is Taylor okay? She's gonna be so upset. I bet she's struggling, isn't she? Will you tell her everything's fine and give her a hug for me and I'll be there in just a little bit and I'll give her one too. That's 
how Melissa handled the calamity God sent her way. Um, she did it with such grace and kindness, and they went through that process where they actually lost money on a car that was paid off, and they never complained, and they just handled it with a sweetness about them, never blaming Taylor, and just walking through that hardship with such beauty. And, and it was so encouraging to see that. And, and maybe you're thinking, well, I wish my only problem that I had in life, the only calamity or disaster I had was a car being crushed. That's what insurance is for. And maybe you do have things that are worse. I can tell you this. God's goodness in you will seep out when you are pressed the hardest. And if you have his spirit at work in you, that sweetness still comes out. And let me say that over years of doing ministry at this church, I've seen a lot of you go through some unbelievably hard things with unbelievable faith. And, and you never lost your sweetness. And you never um, just turned inward and, and self-commiserated. Instead, you've maintained your love for Jesus and your love for others. And it's been ministry to me. It's been challenging to me because I can complain. Like this morning, I broke the egg funny and like Shell got all of my scrambled eggs and I was all distraught, you know? I can just be a complainer sometimes. And so when you do that, I go, man, I need to, I need to straighten up. But at the same time, you remind me that the Spirit's at work. You remind me that the Spirit's at work in our midst and it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that. God sees you in the middle of your calamities. He sees you in the middle of your hardships. Will we endure? Do we have something that causes us to endure when the brokenness of this world sends brokenness our way? Well, brokenness isn't the only um, general suffering. That's not the only thing we have to endure. We also have to endure a different kind of suffering, and, and that's um, the suffering that comes at the hands of others, particularly because of our faith. We see that for Paul, it says in, in verse 5, he says, I've endured beatings, imprisonments, riots. Paul's faithful ministry has led him to a type of suffering. I'm just going to speak candidly with you. Quite frankly, we don't have a category for it here in the South. We just don't. We don't get persecuted. Um, a pastor recently at a conference I was at said, there's an update in the Voice of the Martyrs and Persecution.com, the top 50 most persecuted countries. And did you know America is now on it for the first time ever? And I was sitting there going, yeah, man, oh my gosh. And then he started laughing. He goes, are you kidding me? We're not even in the top 300. He's like, you don't get persecuted in America. It just doesn't happen. You have such freedoms and you can't imagine the freedoms that you have. Um, I remember the first time that I was actually struck by real persecution that goes on in the world around me. I was supposed to go to a mission conference and I wasn't able to go. My friend went and he came back and he had a VHS in hand. Remember those? And we put it in our VCR. This was right when DVDs were about to be cool. And, and so we, we, he brings this tape in and we put it in and we start watching this conference. And the speaker was from Pakistan. And he had told stories about being imprisoned and being away from his family. But the powerful moment really came afterwards in the question and answer time when he was sitting in the midst of all these people and, and someone very candidly, a man said, how do you do it? How do you, do you go to jail again and again and you're away from your family and you're scared of what might happen to them? It, it, how can you live like, I can't, I couldn't do it. That's what the man said. And that, that Pakistani minister 
set his microphone down, and he started unbuttoning his shirt. And he pulled it off, and he had one of those little tank top kind of undershirts on, but you could see his arms and his back. And you could see that covered all down them were these, these dark, almost black scars against his brown skin. But if you look closely, you notice some of those scars weren't black at all. They were pink because they were fresh. And he looked at the man and said, American Christians have very little opposition. And American Christians can have very little faith. I pray that your faith would grow, even if it means your opposition grows. As we live in a culture that's going secular, and we tend to want to fight to maintain some kind of power and and sense of control, maybe it's time for us to get to know our brothers that are suffering persecution all the time so we can ready ourselves to be persecuted ourselves. And maybe a good way to do that, I did this this week, and only because I was preaching this, but I went to persecution.com. You can actually go there. You can click one little button, and you can become a prayer partner with someone who's behind enemy lines, so to speak. They will send you updates of things they need to pray for. Mind-blowing, what they're asking for. But it will keep you in touch with our brothers and sisters that are going through the kinds of things Paul talks about. So I challenge you to go do that. Go do that. Have a way to keep in touch with them. And you may say, Jonathan, you know I have enough problems here. I don't need the problems of someone else to be added to my plate. And I would just challenge you, maybe if you start reading about their problems, you might realize that you have inconveniences and setbacks. It might put in perspective some of the things that are going on in your life. So go do that, if you, if you will. Go see what our brothers and sisters are going through around the world. He suffered great hardships because of his faith, but also there was more suffering that Paul had to do. You see it in uh, the end of that verse. He says, also he, he went through labors and sleepless nights and hunger. And what these are are sacrifices that Paul made for the gospel to go forward. He missed meals. He, he lost sleep. He worked tirelessly to sacrifice so that the gospel could go forward. And the question I have for us is, is how are we sacrificing? I have to confess, like, um, my wife and I sometimes will get this rhythm of just getting our kids to bed, and then when they're in bed, we just kind of want to chill and watch TV. And, and it's hard to add something to our evening. But what we've been convicted of is maybe we're just not being as hospitable as we should be. And would it be too much for you and for us to open our homes one more night a month to let someone come in and get to know them, and to love them, and hear what's going on in their life. It would be a small sacrifice, but could you do it? Could you do it? They say in America, our privacy fences are tall, and our dining room tables are small. What if we were more hospitable? What if we opened our home just one more time? Um, What if it was money? What if there's just a little more giving you can make that would cause it to be a true sacrifice that wouldn't fit in your budget, that something else would have to leave your budget? Are there sacrifices that you can make to push the gospel forward? Some of you serve and serve, and you give and give, and we're so thankful for that. And know this, that as you endure in your sacrifices for the gospel, that it will not be wasted. That God sees it, and he'll bless it. He'll bless it. So that's the what. That's the what we must endure, but how do we endure it? Um, We see that throughout this passage as well. Um, First, I think we endure with godly posture. 
a godly posture. For Paul, the way he endures matters just as much as the fact that he does endure, right? And so we see that in this passage where he says that, that he maintained his purity, his, his knowledge, his patience, his kindness, his truthful speech, and his genuine love as he endured all these hard things. See, Paul doesn't get bitter and self-pitying or resentful of others and self-righteous about his suffering. Rather, he maintains love and patience and kindness for the people that are causing some of his suffering. Did you see that in the passage? As he, he says at the end, as he implores the Corinthians, mind you, the Corinthians that are rejecting him, the Corinthians that are calling him fake, that are saying he's an imposter, he looks at him and he says, he says, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. He's saying we've torn our hearts open for you. We love you. We want you to get the gospel. And then he goes on to the end and says, in return, I speak to you as children. That's not condescending. He's saying, like my children who have gone astray, I'm begging you, open your hearts to us and receive our gospel. He loves the people who are rejecting him. Isn't that like our Savior? Isn't that like Jesus, who goes to Jerusalem to be crucified? And what does he say? He says, Jerusalem, you, you killed the prophets and you stoned the people that are sent for you, and how I've longed to gather in your children. He, he loves the people that will crucify him. Paul loves the people that ridicule and mock him. And how opposite of our culture is that? We live in a culture now where if you do one thing that I don't agree with, I cancel you, right? You're done. I'm tired of you. I won't listen to you. You have nothing to say to me. If you're not the same political party as me, forget you. I don't want to talk to you. And, and yet, here Paul and Jesus put on display for us that no, we're to love people that are different than us. We're to love even our enemies, the people that we're opposed to. And with genuine love, continue to pursue them. Godly posture is how we must endure. But we also have to endure with godly perspective. I love verses 8 uh, to 10. Um, Paul isn't naive to how people view him. Look at the end of verse 8. He says, we're treated as imposters, yet we're true. As unknown, yet we're well known. As dying, and we live. As punished, yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. What Paul's doing there is he's saying, this is what people say about me, but here's what's real in the eyes of God. People say I'm sorrowful, but God knows I'm rejoicing because I have the treasure of treasures. People say I have nothing and I'm poor, but I make people rich by showing them Jesus, and I have him as my own. People say that I'm an imposter, but I'm preaching the true gospel. And what he's done is he's taking God and what God says about him, and he's allowed it to screen out others' perceptions of him. Others' perceptions of him will not define who he is. God's perception of him will. And because of that, he can endure. And the question is, do we have that kind of understanding of what God says to be true of us? Do we? Do you know this well enough to know what God says is true of you? Or do you hear the voices of people from the outside and your own voice inside your head, and do you believe those things instead? We have to let God's word and what he speaks over us be the deepest truths that cause us to endure but that still isn't enough. We need godly power. Godly power. Did you see Paul drop a few 
hints at where the real power for his endurance comes from in verses six and seven. You know, he's kind of running off these things that are true of him. I endure by purity, uh, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God. He's throwing in where his real power comes from to endure. See, Paul knows it's not his awesomeness that makes him able to endure all these tremendous hardships. He knows that it's God's very spirit in him that enables him to endure, and that's the gospel. The gospel isn't just that Jesus became sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God. It is that, but it's also that, that Jesus puts his spirit in you, that you now have the power of Christ inside of you, and so that if you wonder if you have what it takes to endure the trials that you're going through, the hard things that are in your life, you wonder if you could take one more step in, this, in these miserable sufferings that come your way sometimes. And I don't know a lot of you, and I don't know what you're going through, but I do know some of you, and I know you're going through a lot. And, and if you don't believe that you have what it takes, believe this, that the Spirit of God is in you, you do. You have what it takes, because the very Spirit of the one that took one step after another, all the way up to Calvary, and died on a cross for our sins. He endured all the way to the cross. The spirit of that God, that Jesus, is in you. And he can cause you to endure when you don't think you have what it takes. The reality is you don't, but Christ in you says you do. And you can. We have to get on our knees, and we have to beg our Lord to give us what it takes to endure just one more day, maybe just one more hour. Paul didn't come up with this idea of enduring through hardship as the mark of a Christian. He's just following Jesus, who endured the ultimate hardship of the cross so that you can be called children of the living God. Now we get to go to a meal where we can celebrate his endurance on our behalf that saves us and that empowers us to live for him. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we thank you for the cross and we thank you for the power that comes from the spirit that dwells in us. Lord, we ask that you would just make us more and more able to see how deeply we are loved and more and more able to believe the power that is in us because of the spirit of Christ. Father, would you change us and shape us, change us and shape us now by this meal. We pray that you would in Christ's name, amen.